that's the importance of seeing stories through a black lens. Everyone will realize when they have an opportunity to see films like this or hear podcasts like this, they'll realize, you know, this enriches them. This enriches everyone. It's not just beneficial for black people to be able to tell black stories. It's beneficial for all people to be able to receive black stories. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our communities, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Brio. And this week, I'm taking you inside the Tribeca Film Festival as they gear up to be the first film festival all the way back in action in person since the COVID-19 pandemic. We are counting down the days until the Tribeca Film Festival kicks off on June 9th, going through June 20th in New York City. I am so looking forward to the first live event that I'll be attending in, gosh, what feels like forever. This year, the Tribeca Film Festival is really raising the bar when it comes to representation, to curating programs that speak to a diverse audience and tap into some things that we've all been going through processing over the last year, over the past several years. And I'm so excited for a lot of the things that they have in store. My guest on Acting Up today is Lauren Hammonds, Vice President of Immersive Programming at Tribeca, and he's also the Head of Programming for their special Juneteenth slate that's happening this year. So this year, the festival ends on Juneteenth, and to celebrate that, there's a whole bunch of programming that's going to be highlighted in different verticals throughout the festival, culminating on Juneteenth. These projects celebrate voices from the African diaspora with a huge emphasis on Black artists, performers, filmmakers, and creators. One thing I'm really looking forward to this year is seeing Stacey Abrams when she's honored with the inaugural Belafonte Award, named after civil rights hero Harry Belafonte, who's also the subject of one of the films that I cannot wait to watch. And there are a ton of films that I just cannot wait to watch. We don't have time to go through all of the films that I'm dying to see, but one of them is The Neutral Ground, directed by C.J. Hunt, executive produced by Roy Wood Jr. This is a film that I just know is going to make a huge impact. And at Tribeca, Nicole Hannah-Jones is going to be there in case you've been living under a rock. She's the Pulitzer Prize winning creator of the 1619 Project, and she's been making headlines right and left in recent weeks. So I can't wait to see what she has to say about the conversation sparked by what I'm sure will be a really impactful film. Terrell Alvin McCraney and D. Harris Lawrence are going to premiere the second season of the hit own series, David Makes Man, which is so good and is going to, I think, flash forward this season to show us a grown up David. And I mean, my head has been spinning ever since they said that they were not following a traditional format for season two. So I have no idea what to expect, but I know it will be good. Queen Latifah's Queen Collective will be back this year with four new films. That is an initiative co-sponsored by Procter & Gamble, and it's basically a collection of four short films by Black women creators. Every year, it is so impactful. I can't wait to see what they serve up this year. 
The event is going to be full of stars. I mean, everyone from Gina Prince by the Woods, Sanaa Latham, Lena Waith. Lena Waith is going to be there in a big way, actually. She's going to debut the Rising Voices program in collaboration with Indeed, featuring 10 short films from diverse filmmakers. She's also going to be on deck to talk to me, along with Andre Gaines, who directed the one and only Dick Gregory. We're all going to be chatting there at the premiere. I'll moderate the conversation after the film. It's going to be fantastic. If you happen to be in the New York area and you still want to pick up tickets, they are available. You can screen shows from home if you are not in the New York area, or you can check back at the GRIO to tune into all of our coverage coming to you live from the Tribeca Film Festival. I wanted to talk to Lauren and find out what goes into curating this kind of content. What goes into planning an in-person event of this magnitude as we're kind of easing back into regular life, easing up COVID restrictions, getting people vaccinated. I wanna know how they're gonna keep people safe, how they're gonna keep people engaged, and what was really important for them to focus on when it came to deciding what films and projects were going to make the cut this year of all years. so happy to have you here as a guest on Acting Up. Tribeca Film Festival is really the first one since we were hit with this pandemic to go for it and go live in person. And at the same time, we want to know what that was like to kind of pivot and what the impact of festivals has in this new landscape that I think we're all still trying to figure out and navigate and measure. And that is this call to action in the industry to really rise to the occasion and meet the moment when it comes to the kind of content being created and being distributed and being highlighted to creators of color having equity in this industry to, you know, really holding Hollywood accountable from studios to networks to organizations like yours who really curate what kind of projects make it to the people. So that's a big bite. That's a lot to try and attack in one conversation. But first, talk to me about the pandemic strategy. Why live? What made you feel ready? And what have you been doing to make sure that everyone's safe? Sure. Well, you know, What's interesting is when we had to postpone the festival last year and the pandemic hit, we continued working. There wasn't a moment where we sat down and said, what are we going to do? It was a moment where we sat down and said, what are we going to do next? Right. So we continued working. We kind of came up with a bunch of different opportunities and possibilities for getting the work that we had spent such a, a long time and you know, were passionate about curating, getting that work to audiences. Mm-hmm. Part of that was in the form of the talk series that we did virtually over the summer, which you were a part of, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Another part was drive-ins. You know, we started producing drive-ins, both here in New York, also out in LA at the Rose Bowl um, in Texas. So, and that was a a business that Tribeca had not been in in the past, right? But it's something that we quickly realized, you know, we're exhibitors, we're curators, we can do this. And we, we did, and it was successful. And it also gave us kind of a vision as to what the possibilities might be in the future for us. We're very lucky because Jane Rosenthal, our co-founder, was working so closely with Governor Cuomo and the city authorities to make sure that we stayed on top of what the COVID protocols were, Mm -hmm. what they 
were likely going to be. So we came up with this idea of really treating the city as our own metroplex and building these outdoor socially distanced screening venues to show the work. And that extends to other parts of the festival as well, including immersive. You know, we have some great pieces that are outdoor for the first time in immersive and things that people can do from across the globe. And not to mention our Tribeca at home selection, where you can actually experience the festival wherever you are in the United States, which is important because even though restrictions are lifting, we understand not everyone can travel or not everyone is vaccinated or feels comfortable traveling. So we want to make sure that we're opening up our program to everybody and really democratizing it, right? Like giving everybody a chance to see what Tribeca is all about. This is a a perfect year for that. So what if it rains? (laughs) (laughs) Well, to tell you the truth, the rain plan is if it rains, as long as it's not raining too hard, we're going. If it rains hard, we will have to cancel. But I mean, the way that things are prepared, essentially every film is getting a live screening in person, right? That's the way it's designed. But then all of the encore screenings are happening on the virtual platform of Tribeca at Home. So everyone will still have the opportunity to share their work. We've been recording Q&As with all of the cast and directors over the past few weeks. We're aiming to get 100% of the films that we're offering to an at-home audience to have a conversation after afterwards as well. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, just really keeping the flavor of the festival alive at home is yeah. important to us. And not to mention, we did do those weather surveys to see what June has been like in the past. And yeah. I'm knocking on wood and it's been very, very light in the past. So we're hopeful that we get beautiful weather and that the entertainment gods shine down on us. Yes. <laughs> What are the rules? I mean, are you saying you can come in if you're vaccinated? Are you allowed to ask? Like, what has that madness been like? Because you're navigating this and like getting down to the wire right as these major changes are happening, right? Like the CDC does a 180. First, they're like, look, vaccinations aren't 100%, even if you have them, wear a mask. Sometimes they don't work. Sometimes people are immunocompromised. They protect everyone. It's Mm -hmm. smart. And then like four milliseconds later, (laughs) you're like, you know what? Fuck it. Take them off. It's fine. (laughs) Don't worry. Go inside. Like it's a free for all. And people are confused. I'm very confused. What's the reality of what that looks like to navigate? So, I mean, really we are continuing to, to, are on the side of caution. All of these outdoor screenings, they still will have a mask mandate that we have in place. So regardless of the fact that everyone who's vaccinated can now walk around without a mask, we Mm -hmm. are asking everyone to keep your mask on. You know, we don't know who is vaccinated and who is not. For the outdoor screenings, we're not asking for proof of vaccination. So it's just, we want to keep everyone careful. We have these socially distanced pods where essentially you can sit with four people from your own group or two people from your own group, and they're all distanced from each other. When you're in the pod, if you're eating or drinking, you take off your mask. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as we're as people are lining up, as people are filing in, and if you're just sitting there, you know, un- under the the clouds watching the film, like we ask you to keep it on. One development, you know, as things have changed, we are having a, a closing night that's indoor, mm. which is. You know, it's it's something that we couldn't have seen coming, but yeah. um, we're excited about it. For that particular event, it's happening at Radio City Music Hall, it does require proof of vaccination. So that's the difference in that, in that the, the one indoor event that we're having that's a large-scale screening will require you to be vaccinated. I like that. Because you could have, you know, you could have not 
done that? Are you going to take in people's word for that? But I mean, I'm literally on the fence about even going. Luckily, I have that option because I could cover it from here or I can cover it from there. I'm excited to go. I want to be in the room, but I'm also, you know, like what you just said kind of tips the scale, you know, like just makes another layer of feeling comfortable and, you know, like, like why not do that? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's what we, we really hope. We, our first, our, our first mission is to keep people safe. Mm-hmm. You know, we are, we are, yes, purveyors of film and entertainment and all that good stuff, but we want people to be able to feel comfortable when they come out to Tribeca and feel like, you know, they're having a good time. We don't want you to be looking, giving a side eye to your, <laughs> to your neighbor. We yeah, want you to be right. paying attention to the films. So that's, yeah. So that's great. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of protocols in place to keep people safe. You guys have thought about it. You have figured it out. How did the pandemic affect, if at all, the way that you accepted submissions, the timelines? And also, are there some like COVID theme, you know, projects that tackle COVID and quarantine that we'll see in the festival? Well, it's interesting because we were very curious how it would affect submissions and all of that, right? It's, uh, we were lucky enough to receive no real impact in it. People still were submitting films at the same level that they have in the past, even with the production shutdown. You know, I think people were working in post-production and they were ready to give us some films to look at. So that's been really great. And yes, of course, we saw tons of films that were like pandemic themed, shot on Zoom, everything you could imagine. Yeah. Most of those did not work, but there are a select few that we programmed that I'm really, really excited for people to see how creators have dealt with the pandemic. There's one in particular that's actually also part of our Juneteenth program, which is something that I can talk about, right? You mentioned, before I get into the film, you also mentioned like, how did it affect the timeline? This is something that's really interesting is that our festival usually happens in April and we just didn't feel confident or comfortable moving forward with that date, given the ongoing crisis. And we said, well, let's look at a couple of months down the line, what we can do to push push it a little bit. And we pushed it, you know, we wanted to make sure that the weather was was nice. So we did those weather surveys I talked about. And then one of the windows that we looked at happened to end on June 19th. And that just seemed so incredibly perfect for us to be able to celebrate Juneteenth for the very first time as Tribeca and really lean into some of the things Jane and Bob intended for Tribeca Film Institute and and Tribeca as an organization from the very beginning in terms of making sure to to create opportunities for um, underrepresented filmmakers. And in this case, you know, with Juneteenth, it's really, it really became about celebrating and elevating Black creators across the festival. So it's something that I'm I'm very proud of the programming that we we came up with. And one of those films is a pandemic themed film, a film called As of Yet by uh, Taylor Guerin and Chanel James. And Taylor also stars in the film and wrote the film as well. She's like an amazing, I think, comedic voice that people will be checking for after this. And it is primarily shot on Zoom and it works. It's like amazing because it's she she just plays, you know, a, a young black woman in Brooklyn who is kind of navigating those days of the pandemic during lockdown, whether it's talking to her friends 
dealing with a toxic friendship that happens to be a white friend of hers that now with all of the things that occurred last summer and all of the different kind of trials of racial justice and equity, how do you navigate those kinds of friendships now with someone who might not have the same type of sensitivities? So this is a, a, yeah, this is a really funny movie, but it touches on some very, very real places. So it's something that we all responded to immediately. and, And I think Taylor and Chanel have made something really special with that one. I haven't seen it yet, but I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of like, yeah, what do we do with these white friendships that we've had forever that suddenly became problematic? Suddenly you recognize the divide or, oh my God, I can't believe this person who knows me, loves me, doesn't get it, doesn't see it my way, you know, is still watching Tucker Carlson or still sympathizing, you know, with their like (laughs) racist grandpa because he's like a good person, you know, like, What do we do with that? And the thing is, you know, of course we know, and we've been knowing that the way that we are represented on screen has so much to do with the way that others see us and the way that we see ourselves. We know that. But I think one thing that I saw kind of catch on during this pandemic is the notion, you know, especially after George Floyd, especially during the protests, was this pickle which was a lot of people wanting and responding to the desire to share information and to you know, share their stance and encouraging white people to take up this cause to recognize that it is not a black issue. It is an American issue. That's right. It's it a human issue. Yeah. That you don't have to be racist to be part of the problem, exactly. right? That there are microaggressions, that there are unconscious biases that, you know, when we're talking about things like police and what to do there, and you say defund the police, and that sounds nuts to sure. people who, you know, buy the few bad apples explanation or say, you know, but but why are you afraid of all police? Well, it does something to be able to say on film, to explain on film that like, this is what the experience is. This is why it's scary. This is why it was scary in 1921. And this is why it's scary in 2021. And so I haven't seen a lot of projects and people willing to talk about what it actually is like to stay in Mm -hmm. these debates and conversations. What I see is practice self-care, It's not my job to educate you. Do the research, figure it out. Don't ask your Black friends. But some people are asking their Black friends. Some of the Black friends have the bandwidth and the energy and the desire to try. If you don't, don't. But if you want to, if you think it will be productive, which we know, you know, tiring and exhausting and frustrating as it is, we know it, it can make an impact. We know that people minds can be changed. Like, I think that's such a big role of creators right now is to do some of that work. And just as equally important as it is to tell stories about self-care and about not having to do that, it's nice to hear that there are people acknowledging like, yeah, it might not be right, but we're in it. We are doing it. Like I might have someone in my life that I love who is somehow a Trump supporter. And I gave up on talking to them because it hurt or because I was angry Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. gave up on listening because they felt attacked or confused. So isn't it a role in art? Like, don't you think maybe that's the new frontier is like exploring that? I mean, I think you hit on something 
that's exactly right. That's the importance of giving Black storytellers the platform. That's the importance of seeing stories through a Black lens. Everyone will realize when they have an opportunity to see films like this or hear podcasts like this, they'll realize, you know, this enriches them. This enriches everyone. Yeah. It's not just beneficial for Black people to be able to tell Black stories. It's beneficial for all people to be able to receive Black stories, right? So that's like the importance of it. And I think when you talk about something like, you know, practicing self-care and navigating these relationships, it's so real. You know, it's something that I think everyone experienced if they hadn't experienced before last summer, they definitely experienced it then, right? And it's interesting because we love our allies, right? That's, we need mm -hmm. our allies. It's very important. Sometimes it's exhausting to have to be the explainer, right? Like uh, you just can't, can't be that person all the time. And art can help to play that role. I think that it can really bring things together I and mean, do the opposite of dividing people. It's like, yes. you know, the film that I touched on before, like, it's not a heavy, it, at no point does it ever feel like it's preaching to you. And that's why I think we responded so well to it. it. Instead, it seems like a very realistic situation that everyone can relate to. And what do you do with that, right? And that can create a conversation with your allies and with that person that you went to see the movie with, right? No matter what color yeah. they are, you can talk about that. Well, you know, have I ever said anything that's uncomfortable? Like what, why didn't yeah. you tell me that those kinds of things are, are real. So it's important to kind of filter that through the black lens. So that is definitely a film that we should be looking out for. There's a few that jumped out to me. I want to talk about the Juneteenth program. I want to talk about what went into programming that and to curating that, but a few things that jump out at me, like number one, I love that you guys are doing a screening of the five heartbeats, like, yes. Yes, yes. That's so I'm fun. like, <laughs> I know, I'm going crazy for that one because I actually, I get to moderate it Ooh. too, which is like amazing, right? I First I got to meet Robert Townsend, who was a hero of mine. Oh. And then now I get to meet everyone in the cast. So I'm so excited because that movie is, it's just beloved it's just, in, in our community. Yeah, and it, it is. it'll be Black Music Month in June, so it's so appropriate. And it's also the 30th anniversary of yes. that iconic film. I love that you're doing that. I'm really, really, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit somebody up to send it to me early. I want to see The Neutral Ground. Oh, yes. So bad. I think that is so exciting. That comes from a really impressive team. I think yes. Roy, Roy, Roy Wood Jr. Roy, Roy Wood Jr. is the executive producer of that film. The director, CJ Hunt, yep. is also a field producer at The Daily Show. Yep. And he is just, um, I, I think, I think this film is great. You know, it deals with the idea of removing Confederate monuments, specifically in New Orleans at first, but then kind of grows to, to the entire U.S. and world, right? Like the monuments that don't belong there that shouldn't have been there to begin with. Right? Yeah. But I think what's so so interesting about the way that CJ Hunt approaches it, right, is that he has a very unique sense of humor <laughs> and a very kind of disarming way of engaging with people. So he's able to put himself in places that others wouldn't. Yeah. Right. So I feel like no one else could have made this movie. He's he's embedded with Civil War reenactors. Yeah. He actually, there's there's a, a sequence in this that is it's simultaneously harrowing and also just like fascinating. He found himself at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Oh my gosh. And there's footage 
you know, when, when, when I watched this film, it really was just shocking to me, like, oh, you know, when, when he's there and these images that we're all so used to seeing now with the tiki torches and everything, he is walking alongside these people, capturing them and discussing what they are, you know, what they are planning. It's like a, it's a really, really powerful film, but it's also just straight up hysterical. You know, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a really great way to approach this, this subject matter. So I think you should absolutely see that. Isn't Nicole Hannah-Jones yes. seeing that too? Yes. Okay. So well, no, she is. So Nicole Hannah-Jones is actually going to be at the festival in person, having the discussion, moderating the discussion with um, CJ and Roy Wood Jr. Oh, following the premiere. I so, see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the amazing work that she's done creating the 1619 Project, I think both her and CJ have very different approaches to this, but their work is very much about the legacy of slavery and racism in the United States. So to have them have this conversation is really, really exciting for us. Yeah, that, for those of you who don't know, she is the creator of the 1619 Project, which... Wow, that will be a very powerful conversation for sure. What are some of the other projects that you're especially excited about that you guys are programming as part of this Juneteenth? Yeah, well, what's great is it's across the board, right? So we talked about some films, but this is also popping up in every section of the festival. So in terms of immersive, we have a couple of really exciting pieces like Unresolved, which is a piece that was commissioned from Frontline that's about unresolved racial killings. And it's an augmented reality sculpture that we'll have housed in the battery uh, near one of our largest venues. And we'll also have a web XR version that's available for free to audiences at home um, on our website. And these are stories of essentially when the Emmett Till Act was created and the FBI went back into all these unresolved cases of racial killings, they really dug in and learned the stories of what happened here. So the sculpture that we have, there's a component of it that's, like I said, augmented reality based where you can use your phone and scan some of the names. There are 151 victims names on there and say their name aloud and the story will come to your phone and you'll learn about what has happened there. We have a piece called Brianna's Garden, which we're really excited about as well. Another, it's an augmented reality memorial, both to Brianna Taylor and also to humanity. It's by an amazing creator named Lady Phoenix. And she worked with Brianna Taylor's family to create this piece, which is narrated by Brianna's little sister, Janaya Palmer. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, very, oh. very, very, um, you know, I mean, it's it's intense, of course, but I think it's really beautiful because it allows the audience to think of their own humanity. This is not about that moment where Brianna lost her life. It's not about that. It's about the different facets of her life before that. So that's really exciting. We have the Changing Same, which is an amazing VR experience about kind of, it's like a magical realist journey through the last 400 years of oppression. Um, very, very beautiful. And then in the podcast section, we have tons of things there, including a talk with Tariq Trotter through Audible, talking about his new project, Seven Years. So there's there's so much. And then we have Lena Waithe coming for a couple of things. Yeah. She has executive produced a film called The One and Only Dick Gregory. That's going to be a great one. We'll have her in conversation with Andre Gaines. She's also been working with Indeed, which is one of the partners of the festival, to create a program called Rising Voices. And that has 10 short films from creators of color, all about 
the future of work. So that's something that's great. And our partners really got in on the action. You know, the people that we have partnering with us on Juneteenth are people that have had these programs in place before, right? These are not no Johnny come lately. So everyone has things where they are trying to legitimately elevate black and brown storytellers. So Procter and Gamble, PG is introducing that we're doing the Queen Collective again, which we've done for two years in the past with Queen Latifah and Black female documentarians. But this year we're introducing yeah. a program called 846. And that is something that I'm very proud of as well. It's a series of four films that are designed to replace those eight minutes and 46 seconds that it took to take George Floyd's life away, replace that time with stories of Black joy and uplift. So we have four eight minute and 46 second films written and directed by Black filmmakers. And they're great. We have, I mean, one of them is animated. One of them is a kid's comedy. Another one is a beautiful love story with an elderly couple. Some really, really fantastic work. That is so exciting. And that is so powerful. Yeah, that 846. I mean, you think after the trial, they changed the official time, but that number is just ingrained in so many of our minds. And to see it be kind of reclaimed and turned on its head like that sounds really powerful. It truly is. And then the kind of jewel in our crown this year is we were able to work with Harry Belafonte in establishing the the Harry Belafonte Voices for Social Justice Award, which will be given out on Juneteenth to Stacey Abrams. So having Stacey Abrams at the festival is something that we dreamed of. We, We really dreamed of it from the moment that we decided that we would be celebrating Juneteenth. I think that she has been so such a powerful voice in voter rights, in equity. And the idea of this award is really to look at people who are using their platform, whether it's in artistry, politics, athletics, to really affect change in the world. So she's the perfect person to receive this inaugural award. And she's going to be in conversation with Robin Roberts that afternoon on June 19th. So that should be another really powerful moment. There's so much. I could go I could go on, Courtney. Yeah, I could go on forever. <laughs> I know, but don't you love that? I mean, there is like, you know, I talk a lot about like where the needle is not moving and what is not enough and where people are just talking and not doing anything or it's not fast enough or it's not big enough. But one place, I mean, there is just a lot more content being made, getting out there, getting seen from Black creators. And it's nice like it's nice to have the problem of I don't have time to watch this all versus why am I not seeing this on screen exactly exactly we have to make it happen you know we have to create these opportunities and yeah I mean I've been working with we we had a a new programmer join us this year Karen McMullen who has just been so incredibly helpful and instrumental in shaping what this program looks like and I think also just you know, we've we've spent all this time creating these relationships in different ways with cultural partners. And we're we're like, you know, listen, we're we're doing our best right now to, as I said before, celebrate and elevate. So we're looking forward to being able to work with them all at once and really be able to amplify this to the community here in New York City, but also way beyond. That's why I said this is like a perfect time for this, where people who aren't necessarily traveling to New York can still get the feeling, the flavor, and all of the film, and some of the immersive, and the podcast, and all of that at home. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's really important, I think. So that's a perfect place to wrap. Like, how can people at home, people listening in, like, how can they get in on this action? How can they watch some of these films that we've talked about? Do they buy tickets? Does one ticket get you into everything? Like, 
You have to watch it at a certain time. Walk me through the public average Joe participation model of this. Sure. So we do have a, a Tribeca at home pass, which allows you to see everything that we're offering on the at home platform. But we also do have individual tickets for films where you can purchase those tickets and see them at a specific time. All the features are at at specific times. We really wanted to make sure to mimic the festival experience where you know you can then be part of a conversation. After we've all watched this film at the same time, you can go over to Twitter or you can call your friends or whatever and just say, okay, we saw this. Let's let's talk about it now in the way that we were so used mm -hmm. to doing before everything shut down and locked down. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go to TribecaFilm.com and you can access that pass. It's really, I mean, I think it's pretty affordable for the value that we're offering. And then the individual tickets are priced individually. So like how much does it cost to see one movie? Ballpark. Uh, I think it's around 15 bucks. Now, don't quote okay, me, so people. It's like going to a movie. It's like going to a movie. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But like okay. to see everything, the whole festival is like just over 150 bucks, which is. What? Yeah. No <laughs> yeah. So it's something that should be, um, that should definitely be checked out. You know, we, we want people to, we want, we want to expand the audience. We don't, yeah. we don't want to just have the same people come into the festival. Every year, our mission is to expand our audience. So this is like a right. way to truly, truly help us do that. Very cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I'm really excited about what you guys have cooked up over there. So excited about so many of these titles and I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm looking forward to covering it and I appreciate you kind of giving us the inside scoop on how it's all going down this year. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much for having me, Courtney. You know what? Before I leave, for good measure, because I'm hearing in my ear, I am hearing Warrington Hudlin's voice, the founder of the Black Filmmaker Foundation. And he's saying, why didn't you talk about my panel right now? And I do, <laughs> I do want to say this is the panel that I don't want people to miss yeah. because it is uh, called Black Filmmakers versus American History. Mm -hmm. And he has assembled an amazing panel with Jelani Cobb, Ruben Santiago Hudson, Casey Lemons, Melina Matsukis, and him moderating it. And they are really talking about how film has wrestled with the history of slavery. And I think that that's something that is so on point in terms of the context of the day. So I want to make sure to just get in a little extra plug for that one before we go. And I hope, I hope everyone can join us in New York City for that one. Awesome. Thank you so much. You take care. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. Follow us on Instagram at actingup.pod. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell.